This is Marna Ashburn, the host of Ethics and Etiquette. We are working hard to research and record Season 4 of our podcast, set to premiere on Wednesday, February 9th. In the meantime, let's keep the conversation going with an Ethics and Etiquette reprise. I'm posting two episodes from the past that were fan favorites, both on the topic of inheritance. This is the second one. Few topics generate more drama than this, which stands at the intersection of marriage, family, legal matters, finances, emotions, and expectations. We're looking forward to a brand new season with you on February 9th. See you then. Thanks for tuning in, and here's your podcast. In the popular parlance, we're going to circle back to a previous show today because we have new scenarios that illuminate and develop subjects we've talked about before. By far the most listener responses we got were from a show on inheritance. So I want to revisit that one with two stories ripped from the headlines. The first one is this. If you lived through the 80s, which all three of us did, you know both of these players. Czech supermodel Paulina Porzyskova and frontman for the band The Cars, Rick Okasik. They were married for 35 years and had two children. Both worked throughout, throughout their marriage and brought in incomes, hers from modeling and his from music. They commingled their money into one pot, but Okasik and his business managers oversaw the financial affairs. Paulina largely stayed out of it, and part of that was because she was so young, nearly 20 years his junior. So after 35 years of marriage, they separate but continue living in the same house. In fact, Paulina was taking care of Rick while he recovered from surgery. It was she who discovered he had died in his sleep following complications from the surgery. Two days after his death, their lawyers informed Paulina that Rick had written her out of his will. She had almost nothing to her name, and in the coming months even had to borrow money from friends to buy groceries. All of this while she's struggling with the grief of losing her partner of 35 years and helping her two sons through their grief. So, Kelly, this story brings up a range of responses in me, from the ethical to the legal to the financial to the cautionary tale. Why don't you start out with uh, your thoughts on this? Sure. Thanks, Marna. There's a lot going on here. And a lot of this situation is is fact-driven. The fact that the parties were separated for some time, I think for about three years. Um, The fact that he took the time right before his surgery to redo his will. And, you know, frankly, that was very smart of him. And he expressed his wishes very specifically in the will. And he cut Paulina out of the will. And he stated why, you know, that she had abandoned him. And he, he outlined kind of the facts and his reasoning for his decision to leave her out of the will. He also didn't leave money to two other sons from his second marriage. He did provide for two other children from his first marriage, and he did provide for his um, sons by Paulina through that marriage. Um, She was his third wife. So there's a lot going on here. The, The first thing I would say as a cautionary tale is that women really have to be careful and they have to look out for themselves. And I think that she was very naive here. And I think she's she said that in interviews and articles that I've I've watched and read. She should have been more aware of what was going on. She should have been protecting herself. They should have been communicating certainly during the marriage, while things were good, about finances. She should have protected herself. She should have had a backup plan or some kind of contingency plan. She should have had money that she set aside for herself separately, especially if she was just throwing everything into a pot and letting it be managed by, you know, his people. 
uh, which is kind of what you described. So I would say number one is she really should have been looking out for herself and she should have had money set aside. You know, everybody should have three months, six months of savings ready and available. And she should have been discussing somehow through her attorney when they were separated or in some way with him provisions regarding her her care going forward and her son's care going forward, although it does sound like he, he looked out for them. Having said all that, they were married when he died. And she is, you know, she has the right to step forward and claim an elective share as a spouse of his estate. And that's what she's doing right now. And from what I've read, I'm, I'm not licensed in New York. You know, she has a good shot at getting some part of his estate. I mean, basically, you can disinherit almost everyone, uh, but it's very difficult to disinherit a spouse. He said she abandoned him, so that'll be a fact issue for the court. You know, the court will look at the facts and circumstances. Abandoned, but yet she was taking care of him after his surgery. That doesn't sound like abandonment. Well, that's what she says. Right. I would expect I would expect her sons to support her. I would expect friends, uh, his children from prior marriages, his prior spouses to step forward and say something very different. That's what I would expect. But I, I don't know. You know, it may be very straightforward. Like you said, they may go before the court and it, it you know, it may be uncontroverted. But I would be surprised if that's the situation because money's at stake. And if she gets part of that estate, that's going to impact the piece of the pie that those children from his, I think, his first marriage will get, right? So I wouldn't expect them to go along with that just based upon what I've seen. But who knows? And it doesn't look like there's a lot of money at stake as well, I would say, you know, just from what I've read. Well, what I saw was that it was about $1.7 million. I never thought I'd say that, but this, but it, it doesn't sound like a lot. You would, like when I initially Googled him, it said he was worth 80 million, right? <laughs> but then I read that, you know, that, that really what was the stake was about 1.7 million, that the court filing listed perhaps 5 million in copyrights and 115,000 in personal property. Uh, wow. So, what a difference. You know, huh. it, boy, how much is she going to spend in attorney's fees? How much is court costs and filing fees? And, and then, of course, there are taxes. So it's, um, I'm sure her sons will help her. Um, You know, he did not disinherit them. Um, I think the difficulty for her is, you know, that she's a model and and now she's 55 or 56. And so it's hard to make a living at this point, you know, with her sons. Although... Her modeling career is enjoying a resurgence. She's she's going back to Sports Illustrated at the age of 54. And she's had other modeling jobs. So, And she's a beautiful woman. I've seen her on several interviews. She's still beautiful. See, I wasn't going to say that, Marna, but I was was 22 when that first uh, Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue came out. And I'm just saying for young men or men my age, I mean, wow, yeah. She, okay, you said it. All right, not me, but... She uh, she was a looker. How many covers of Sports Illustrated? Oh, several, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was the face of Estee Lauder for a while. Right. Which at the time was the most lucrative modeling contract ever awarded. So she earned a tremendous amount of money during the course of her career, which I think cannot be forgotten in this whole thing. So Kelly, you answered a question I had was, 
Does she have recourse, or is that will ironclad? Oh, I think she definitely has recourse. And from what I've read, she's got a very good shot at certainly getting some part of the estate. Again, I'm not licensed in New York, but she is entitled to an elective share of some of some sort. You know, certain states, everybody varies. You know, I'm licensed in Virginia. Previously, Virginia had a very straightforward statute. It changed in 2017, but, you know, prior to that, you know, you could step forward as a spouse, claim your elective share as a, as a surviving spouse if you weren't satisfied with what you were left through the will or if you were left out of the will. And if there were no surviving children or descendants, you got one half of the decedent's estate. If there were surviving um, children, you got one third. So it was very, very straightforward. In 2017, they really tightened it up. You know, they defined augmented estate and they put into place a kind of a whole scheme of percentage of the estate you would get based upon the number of years of marriage, which probably makes sense. But it's a much more complicated uh, math problem, I would say. It sounds complicated. So, Mike, we've heard what you think about Paulina's beauty. What do you think about this? situation Um, for her. This is now the third time we're looping back to inheritance, which underlines the fact that it is so important in the course of human affairs. And it's something that people need to pay attention to, you know, wills and and, uh, all those things need to be thought out, completed, carefully considered, you know, long before there's ever the indication that someone's going to pass away. So I think if our listeners can perhaps take that a little nugget from this discussion today, that would be really valuable. Clearly, Paulina was not nearly involved enough in her own affairs. Here was a woman who had her own professional uh, success on a scale which very few people will ever achieve. And yet she outsourced all of her financial affairs to her husband and his managers. That was a bad call on her part. Um, yes, it was. And she'll she'll say that it is. It was. Yeah, yeah. Now. It's very difficult because, you know, you want to trust implicitly those you love, right? You want to invest in them every authority. And it, it's just the nature of human love and long-term committed love, especially. They were married for 35 years. But on the other hand, everyone needs to think through the worst case scenario. If there is money at stake or if you have earned a tremendous amount of money, and you've brought that into a relationship, you need to take some ownership of that. Again, these are problems I don't face, but um, I just have seen this blow up so many different families over time, some of which are publicized, others not. In our first podcast on inheritance, I talked about what Dave Ramsey said about have everybody get in a room or on a Zoom call and have mama read the will so nobody is blindsided and there are no questions. I mean, that's the kind of difficult conversation that couples Mm -hmm. and families Mm -hmm. need to have. And Mike, you come from military background. I come from military background. You know, we got to keep our affairs in order. That's Mm -hmm. part of readiness for deployment, to have those difficult conversations. So we've done that, and we're more or less used to it. But I fully understand that it's a lot harder for some people who don't have that practice. Mm -hmm. But you got to do it. You just got to practice good business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, money conversations are difficult, and people are reluctant, you know, to have them. And I think she, you know, Paulina spoke about that, you know, that she didn't want to, she didn't want to engage in those conversations. And as you said, Marna, she was very young. Um, 
you know, she also um, was was not from this country. I mean, golly, she had a, a lot to, to kind of deal with and overcome. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's complicated. I, I know Dave Ramsey is so wise, but it's not that easy <laughs> to let's have a Zoom call and figure it out. I mean, the fact is that families are fragmented. Some people aren't talking to each other. Um, they don't show up for the call. But when mama dies, they're going to show up. <laughs> and they're going to be looking for their piece of the pie. So true. That's right. So true, yeah. <laughs> so. That's right. And people are going to say, where were you on the Zoom call? Or where were you when mom needed to be taken care of and driven here? And, yep. you know, yep. but, they, you, know, you know, the truth is they don't care. They think I'm, I'm her son and she owes me or I'm her daughter mm-hmm. and she owes mm-hmm. me. And, mm-hmm. you know, she treated me bad and she treated you better. And I want my, you know, the difficult part is we talked about in our other you know, podcast is it's so expensive to engage in litigation and deal with these issues. It's so difficult. Uh, It costs so much money that a lot of times people that behave badly are able to succeed. It's a shame. Yeah, especially when there isn't a lot to inherit to begin with. You know, if there's a couple hundred thousand dollars, you're exactly right, Kelly. I mean, that'll disappear very quickly. Oh, gosh, yeah. If if it's a long, protracted uh, legal contest. And it always is. I mean, it's yeah. not like yeah. you file. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, is there a short not, one? <laughs> yeah, it's not like you yeah. file something and, you know, you get before a judge real quickly. I mean, it just goes on and on. And, you know, I'm focusing on the monetary piece, but, you know, what about the emotional piece? Oh, a lot absolutely. of people, yeah. you know, just yeah. who has the kind of the constitution to deal with that? It just mm-hmm. takes a terrible toll. Can we talk about the ethical choice that Rick Ocasek made? To cut his wife of 35 years out of the will. Yeah, wow. Well, Kelly shed a lot more light on this than I was aware of. Everybody has their side of the story. But um, somehow it seems to me that his decision was deeply flawed, especially when Paulina brought so much in the way of resources into the marriage. I imagine Rick Ocasek earned a lot of money over the years, given his success. But clearly, he didn't hang on to it if that's all that's left, nor did he hang on to her money. So um, I, th- I think it's it's really, really bad on his part. I'm going to take the other side on this. Um, <laughs> I, I look at it, yeah. I mean, as an attorney, I look at it and think, you know, that, that he was, you know, I'm not going to look behind his decision because it's hard to like step into somebody else's shoes, especially when they've passed away. But he was getting ready for a big surgery. And wisely, he met with his attorney and redid his will, because he recognized, you know, I'm not getting any younger, my health isn't great, and I need to address these issues. And I assume, you know, the attorney made sure he was competent. And, you know, he was responsible and, you know, redid his will. And and that's what you know, as an attorney, we like to see people that are, you know, taking care of their affairs. So there's two sides to every story. And of course, the living, they decide, right? Yeah, but Kelly, you know, I find that pretty mechanical. I mean, they were married for 35 years, and they were still living together. I just no, I, uh, I understand. It, and it you... just sort of defies defies reason. Yeah, oh. that was my question, Kelly. Does a lawyer ever step outside her strict lawyer role and say, person to person, are you sure you want to do this? This lacks compassion. Yes. I mean, I don't know that we would 
judge because you're sort of saying this lacks compassion when I, I don't understand. You know, they could be living in that house. She could be driving him crazy. She could be harassing him. She could making be making his life difficult. I don't, you know, we don't know what was going on. We weren't in that house. But, you know, as an attorney, uh, and I'm sure he went to a trust and estates, a specialist who handles probably their whole practice is, is wills and trusts and estate planning. You know, I'm sure they made sure he was competent. He was thinking straight. I'm sure they discussed it with him and advised him. You know, the fact that he went out of his way to say that she had abandoned him shows that he had you know, pretty in-depth discussions with the attorney, because the only way you get around, you know, from what I've read, and again, I'm not licensed in New York, but the only way you get around that elective share applying is if your spouse abandons you. So he went out of his way to say that, probably to try to make sure that his wishes were ironclad in case he didn't survive. So, you know, I'm sure his attorney spoke with him and asked the right questions and discussed things with him. But you have to respect your client's decisions. And right. you, can't, you can't always like and agree with your clients. A lot of times you don't like your clients or agree with them. But that's not what it's about, right? It's about, you know, what they want, making sure that they're fully informed when they make their decision. So it sounds like the use of that word abandonment was a legal decision. Yeah, I think it's something that, you know, that New York law is going to look at and require in order for that elective share not to apply. So I think that's why he made that statement. And I'm sure that that was based on legal advice. I don't know that we'll ever know the outcome of this. Well, I will continue to follow up on this case and report on it if we do. I have seen Paulina on various interviews in which she is advising all women to not do what she did, which is... Yeah, um, <laughs> good point. Very good point. Yeah, it's a cautionary tale. And she'll say, don't hand over your money like that. Stay aware, stay involved, and practice good business with your yeah. spouse. Look she's at the really, books. Yeah, she's really doing a, a public service by going out there and telling her story and kind of admitting to her, you know, I really just think she was naive. I, I just... Um, I, she was I 19 when she married him. Right. And <laughs> even even now, I mean, even later, I think, you know, you she just didn't know. And I, I'm not sure if who was around her. And then the difficulty becomes once you separate, and they had been separated for over three years, you're going through a divorce. I mean, it's it's very difficult. It's not like you're, you know, it's, it would be unusual for them to be talking happily and communicating freely and openly. I mean, it just probably wouldn't work in that way. Mm-hmm. Mike, final thoughts? It's just such a sad tale, especially since these are people who just about everybody our age knows about. It's, it's really surprising to me. Thanks for bringing it back, Marna. I hope yeah, uh, yeah. hope our listeners, you know, can <laughs> digest a little bit of this, and then, like, I guess we all hope that you know we can apply this to our own lives, put our own affairs in uh, in order. So, right, that old adage, trust but verify, really holds right. up here. Right. Good to reinforce yes. that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the one good thing that happened for her, and I know my focus would be on my children, is that he he provided for their sons. And I think that if I were in her shoes, I would be really happy about that. I mean, that would have been my primary concern. Because if he doesn't provide for them, there's really no recourse. Wow. I didn't know that, Kelly. That's really interesting. So your offspring don't necessarily, your spouse may get something by default, but not your offspring? Right. Again, it depends on the state. And I know certain states, if the spouse if everything goes to the spouse and you're a child 
from a prior or a different relationship, sometimes you have a right to step forth and claim an elective share, but it varies from state to state. But in this case, just based on what I read, and again, I'm not a New York lawyer, I, I think that the young men, because they're adults, I mean, would have been hard pressed to, you know, to pursue, you know, some kind of a recovery. You know, there's lots of stories. Uh, you know, my son and I the other day were talking, and we were talking about John Lennon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had a, a son and, you know, I'm not going to remember the exact facts, but we may want to <laughs> talk about this on our next show. But he had a son from his first marriage, Julian Lennon, and then he had a young son when he was murdered, Sean Lennon. And, you know, I think he left like $100,000 to his first son. Hmm. That's it? Wow. That's it. I mean, this is a guy who is worth, you know, untold amounts of money. and. Mm-hmm. In, uh, infinite and continuing on. Right, <laughs> right. Every time yes. somebody plays a Beatles song. So I believe that held. And, you know, that's what he he was in a young adult at the time. But, mm-hmm. you know, meanwhile, um, you know, Yoko Ono and Sean, who I think was still a, a child, I mean, crazy amounts of money. So, yeah, life is not fair when it comes to these kinds of things. Speaking of leaving money to children, I want to move on to the next scenario. Last March on the TV show The Talk, Marie Osmond announced she wouldn't be leaving any money to her children. She has seven of them. And Marie Osmond at this point is is worth millions. She said, I think you do a great disservice to your children to just hand them a fortune because you take away the one most important gift you can give your children and that's the ability to work. She continues, let them be proud of what they make, and I'm going to give my money to charity, adding that she believes that children of wealthy families have the tendency to get in trouble because they don't know what to do. Osmond clarified that she still wants to help her children and would offer assistance when it comes to purchasing a home or car. Okay, so first of all, my immediate thought is there's a vast ocean between zero and the millions and millions that she has to offer. So I'm curious about why she would make the decision to leave zero to her kids because she's afraid that, you know, she left them a lot of money that they would never work again. Why not give them each a little, you know, tidy pile and everybody would be happy. Mike, you have four kids. They're always talking about their inheritance. (laughs) <laughs> Mine are? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Accusing you of spending their inheritance. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. I get that a lot, yeah. And actually, I I gloat a little bit with them about that, how I'm spending their inheritance. But that's another story. So, Marie Osmond, I see it your way, Marna. Uh, there's a huge gap between zero and everything. And uh, especially, you know, if there's a lot of money at stake, and I'm assuming the Osmond family, a significant amount of money. They've made and lost and made a lot. Oh, yeah. Okay. I I don't know the details there. But I was doing a little research in this, and Warren Buffett is another one who has this similar philosophy. Uh, He plans to give his children only a small amount of money compared to what he is worth. And uh, he said something I found very profound, and that is that you should leave your kids enough money so that they feel they can do anything, but not so much that they could do nothing. Oh, that's very profound. Yeah, you know, so in other words, empower them, launch them, give them the means to create their own success. As as a father, I would say, you know, there, there are always going to be moments in a kid's life when they need a little help, they need a little push. Sometimes that's financial, and you should always be there for them. But I don't think you want, I, I know for a fact, you do not want to rob them of the requirement that they go out and 
make their own way in the world. You know, I use the, re- the word requirement deliberately because I think that's what gives people self-confidence, self-respect, uh, a sense of f- fulfillment. You know, if you just sit around your entire life and spend somebody else's money, um, that gets pretty old after a while. It may look good to a lot of people on the outside, but, you know, it's uh, from what I have heard, it is a very unsatisfying existence. You have to have a purpose. You have to have something that you wake up every morning that you want to go do. If lots of money robs you of that, then that's a really bad idea. Yeah, I see that point. But, I mean, obviously she's a very dedicated mother and devoted to her family. Isn't that something that you try to inculcate in your kids in the first 18 years of their life, character building? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I would tell you, it doesn't end at 18. You know that, Marna. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Aren't you That's still true. doing a little character building from time yes. to time? Yes. <laughs> okay, little guidance. I was doing it last night. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to find, I mean, we're thinking about this ourselves. Of course, we're not the Osmonds, so there's not millions of dollars at stake. But How do we support our kids? How do we set things up? Back to the previous discussion, how do we set things up in our will so that we empower them to have successful lives? So maybe that, you know, it may be a way in which we we phase whatever they're going to receive. We phase that money to them over time and by age. Um, And we don't, you know, for example, my kids are all in their 20s. So if my wife and I were to pass away tomorrow, you know, we wouldn't just we probably would not just dump a bunch of money into everybody's lap in their 20s. That, that seems to make sense to me. I totally agree with that. Let's hear what Kelly has to say. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was, I was really wandering, so now I want to hear something important. Go ahead, Kelly. <laughs> no, I really agree with you, Mike. I mean, one thing I'd say about Marie Osmond is I wonder if she was just trying to say something to get everybody to engage in a conversation and sort of just be a little bit, uh, you know, say something a little bit provoking. You know, I don't think she meant it. I don't think she's going to do that. Not for a minute. So I think it's just something she said. I think it's something a lot of these folks say, you know, like Bill Gates and we won't be leaving money to our children. We're leaving everything to charity. Not really. I mean, sure, they're going to leave a ton to charity. And and I think that's wonderful. And they've really, you know, like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. And well, now, you know, Jeff Bezos's former wife, she's been amazing as far as what she's done in in just the last six months, you know, so people are doing it, but they're going to leave money to their children still. And I don't believe in it you know, for a minute that she's not going to. And her statement of, you know, I'll help them buy a house or buy a car. Well, how are you going to do that when you're dead? How are they going to get yeah. the money? Well, what are you talking about? You know, I mean, it just, I think she I think she meant of, while she was still alive. Yeah, no, she did. But I mean, the, the point is she's not really thinking things through. She's just mm-hmm. on a talk show and she's trying to get people engaged and thinking about topics. Yeah, she was, she was Osmond a host. Fan, are you, Kelly? <laughs> no, no, I am. Actually, you know what? I really like Marie Osmond. And I, you know, I, I think that their family, you know, talk about a hardworking, talented family. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what the Osmonds are. You know, she mentioned her husband and she and her husband, that was their decision. But then she's been married three times. So I'm thinking, what, which husband? husband which ones are the father <laughs> you know what i mean like Whoa, I, just, I didn't know all this really yeah, no i mean I'm, but i'm being honest <laughs> these are the things i'm wondering about okay. so but i agree about the middle approach there's a middle approach where you can help your children make their lives easier you know because life is tough 
I mean, your kids could be working really hard and be struggling to pay for their child to go to college or to get the hot water heater fixed or, you know, their kitchen has fallen apart or they'd be, or maybe they just want to redo their kitchen. Wouldn't it be nice if you left them some money to make their lives easier or maybe they get laid off from a job? So, but I think you want to think about the tax consequences. You know, there are state and federal and even localities have estate or inheritance taxes. And the two things are different. An estate tax is a tax levied on, you know, a dead person or a decedent's assets, and it's payable by the estate. So in this case, by Marie Osmond's estate. Whereas an inheritance tax is a tax levied on the person getting the assets, and that person pays the money. So for somebody like Marie Osmond, she, you know, they're going to be federal tax consequences for her. I mean, right now, I think, you know, the exemption is like 11 point something million dollars. And if her husband is, you know, not the parent of some of these kids, it, it gets complicated. So because the surviving spouse is exempt from the tax. But again, you know, you really need to sit down and meet with somebody and so that you can provide for your family and your heirs. And I would say pay as little money as possible, you know, to the government, to the state, to your locality. I mean, like Virginia doesn't have a separate estate or inheritance tax, but Pennsylvania does. And it's pretty significant. So can you get hit with both? Yes, you would. Yeah. Like in Pennsylvania, there's a 4.5% tax applied to transfers to direct descendants, you know, like your Over children. Over a certain amount, Kelly? No, I think it's like very low. You really? know, and, uh, wow. yeah, I mean, it's it's relatively like, you know, 3,500. I mean, it's relatively low. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you, you know, like if you were to leave something to your sibling, it's a 12% tax. And if you leave wow. something to another heir, it's 15%. Now, it's good if you leave it to charity. There isn't there mm-hmm. isn't a tax. Mm-hmm. But, you, you you know, you need to really look at your locality, um, you know, and where you're living. And, and in addition to, to the federal government, and you want to make... You know, there are things you can do to to help, you know, like you you can certainly have a joint account. Like if if Paulina had a joint account with Rico Kasich upon his death, that would have gone to her and that would have really helped her. And she would have had some you can have a a Roth IRA, right? Life insurance. Um, There's gifting that you can do that's tax exempt. So there's all these different mechanisms to help your family in life or after you've passed away where you can avoid taxes. Mm-hmm. And and you can control the amount you give to them. So maybe take that middle approach. You don't leave them, you know, if, if Marie Osmond's worth 20 or $30 million, which I imagine she is, you don't leave all that, you know, but you, you give them something to help make their lives a little bit easier. Because you know what? Everything I've read, it's pretty darn tough to be the child of a star. That is not easy. When you look at, you know, historically how these children do, it can be really hard. Yeah. You know, and they often have difficult lives. Good point. So seek advice of a professional and plan ahead. Yeah. Absolutely. I think those are great thoughts, Kelly. I want to I want to yeah. give a shout out to both my folks who passed away and my father-in-law also. They were all educators. And educators don't necessarily make a lot of money. But what they did, which I you know, I'm going to try to emulate is um, they planned ahead and gave money to their grandchildren for education through 529 plans. And I imagine most of our listeners are familiar with 529. Many different states have them. 
but their education accounts. And so as soon as their grandkids were born, they started to fund these 529 plans. So my wife and I never saw that money, but boy, it really helped our kids out when it came time to go to college. And, That's a beautiful uh, thing to do. You yeah, know, so they, really skipped a, they skipped a generation and it was very deliberate. It was done over time, you know, a little bit every year. But, you know, in the case of our kids, you know, each of whom had 18 years for that money to accumulate, it made a world of difference for them. I just, I think that's the kind of thing that families need to do. They need to think ahead. As Kelly said, they need to get professional advice. Um, there are ways to do this in a manner which are going to empower and enable your kids and your grandkids um, and your, your, your wives and husbands, but not cripple them for life with untold amounts of money that robs them of all ambition. Right. That's a great story, by the way, Mike. A lot of people are reluctant to do that because they're always worried they're going to run out of money. So they just aren't willing to make that commitment, you know, which I totally get. So the fact that uh, that your folks and Kathy's folks did that is that's just yeah. wonderful. You that's know, a great story. Just a little story. at a time. You're deliberate about it and you let time work in your favor. And uh, right. boy, it, it made a huge difference. So it's a wonderful investment in your family yeah. and your descendants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also you're taking advantage of the market and. Yeah, I'm not a math person. I'm not going to be able to describe it. But, but the way money grows over time, um, mm -hmm. and it's a little bit less of a, it's a conservative investment, but not as conservative as like, uh, you know, just putting money in a savings account or buying a bond or something. So right, yeah, that, right. that's a that's great. Yeah, and I would just repeat, get with that skilled trust and estate attorney you know, estate planning, trusts can be put together that have terms and conditions and a trustee and allow money to be used for certain purposes for a certain period of time. There's all sorts of mechanisms that can be used to help your heirs and not, you know, while making sure that maybe they don't have access to too much. Um, yeah. And Kelly, I think you have a link, which I can post on uh Trust and estate lawyers? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's probably to the American College of Trust and Estate Council, which is yeah. this wonderful national organization that has fellows, and they're like the best and the brightest in the trust and estate practice. They have years of experience. So okay. that's, that, that would be a great place to start. We'll post that in the show notes. And I have one last thing to talk about with Marie Osmond when she says she. She has no problem helping her kids buy a car or a house. I come from a big family myself, five children. Make no mistake, those children are keeping an accounting of who gets what, and there's going to be a reckoning. <laughs> and they're going to say, well, Mom helped you buy a car, and but she helped so-and-so buy a house, so he got a lot more money. Yeah. You well, got to adjust for that. You got to plan for that. So you know what? that's coming in your family, Marna? Uh, well, we don't have the millions that the Osmonds have, but um, <laughs> okay. but I remember doing it when we were uh, growing up in terms of, like, birthday presents. And, oh, well, yeah. you got a bike, and all I got was a necklace. <laughs> uh, oh. life, life is so not fair. Yeah. Plan ahead. And I think that's going to be it, unless either one of you have a final thought. So I've got one. So I just want to say that, you know, Marna and Kelly, I learned so much from you guys. So this is the third time we've talked about inheritance. And I may have said this before. My memory's getting uh, a little less, uh, no longer the steel trap it used to be, let's say. Based on our previous discussions of inheritance at Christmas, uh, we were fortunate enough to have all our kids come home. 
So Kathy and I decided we're going to sit him down and we're going to have that money talk. And uh, we didn't read the will, Kelly, but we talked through, and I kind of just gave them some prompts. We talked through sort of what our ideas are and then wanted to see if they had any questions. And, you know, so again, my kids are all in their 20s. And they kind of looked at me like, are you kidding me? You know, we could be doing something else right now. Why are we doing this? But we brought out good drinks and good snacks. So that sort of uh, got their attention, at least for a couple minutes. But as the conversation went on, they became more and more interested in what we were talking about. And they began to see just how important it was that we all talk about these things long before anybody's sick or in failing health. And I tell you, it was really good. And again, it wasn't specific. It wasn't like we read the will, but we just had a general discussion about sort of our philosophy, and then we answered their questions. If I could be so bold, I would say to all our listeners out there, maybe you should consider that. You know, sit down with the folks you love, serve some good drinks and some good food, and talk through these things because it's it's time well spent oh absolutely and you are modeling uh something really important to your four kids also which is yeah, maybe. how to have that family discussion yeah i think more importantly how i'm spending their inheritance so <laughs> <laughs> no that's that's great advice and guidance i think we R- talked really about like, this before in yeah, the word inheritance yeah. it's there's no inheritance until you die i mean you you can't talk about pre-inheritance Right. The inheritance exists after you die. Well, but part of the estate planning can involve, you know, gifts to reduce your estate, uh, which impacts the inheritance. But having those conversations, I think, is great and important. Yeah, I agree. And a lot of people resist it. And a lot of people don't even have wills, is what I hear from my lawyer friends. Don't make that mistake. You know, if you don't have a will, you're leaving it up to the state. And the state and the statutory scheme will decide you won't. And it will take a lot longer, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, Kelly? It can, yeah. And and somebody, anybody could step in and try to qualify um, to, you know, handle your estate. You know, they would become, I think, as opposed to an executor or an executrix, they would be an administrator or an administratrix or has a slightly different name when there's no will. And right. it could, you know, you could end up whoever gets to the courthouse first, you know, you, you get that kind of scenario. So it's, it's risky. And just so our listeners can be a little better informed, if you want a very simple will, I mean, just a no, no complications whatsoever, isn't that pretty inexpensive and uh, easy to get? And can you do it through a legal service as opposed to sitting down with a Uh, a trust and will attorney? Sure, you absolutely can. Um, And you can sit down and handwrite a will in in many states and and write out your wishes. And, you know, again, I I, I don't want to give legal advice. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm licensed in one state. But yes, you can put something together yourself. You could use a form. It's, It's not ideal. And that's why you know, we, we talk about the link that we're going to post and we talk about meeting with a qualified attorney mm-hmm. in the jurisdiction in which you live. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes you even want to involve a CPA. But absolutely, if you're sick and you or you don't have money or you don't feel like you've you just want to take care of it, you can. You can do it yeah. just that yeah. way. 
Okay. Well, that's good information. Good to know. Okay, just to wrap this up, never hand off your fiscal responsibility to anyone. Trust but verify and communicate. And plan ahead, Marna. Oh, yeah, seek advice and plan ahead. (laughs) Those five things. Let's keep the conversation going. Let us know your thoughts and ideas. Our email address is inbox at ethicsandetiquette.com. You can also leave a comment or voicemail at our website, www.ethicsandetiquette.com. Our Instagram is at ethicsetiquette, and we're on Facebook, Ethics and Etiquette. If you want to support what we're doing, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and recommend us to your friends and family. We'd really appreciate it. For Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman and Mike Derrick, I'm Marna Ashburn, and this is Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. Thanks for being with us today, and please join us again. New episodes are posted on the first and third Wednesdays of every month. See you then.